Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Welcome back to Creation Innovation. Thanks for joining us today. I am so excited to actually speak to one of my very, very good friends, Rojan. So welcome for, thanks for being here and welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Rojan has a very unique story. And as we were talking before we started to record, I would like this to touch as many people from as many different aspects as possible. And she agreed in sharing her story and she shares openly um, often on social media in the attempts to help others. And I think as well, I think it's probably a healing aspect for yourself as well to find that community. Have you found that? To be? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sharing has been um, an effort to heal myself, to feel less alone, to help others feel less alone um, who are kind of walking the similar journey than I am. Absolutely. And that and that journey, which we haven't yet revealed, <laughs> is actually, Rojan, why don't you kind of do the intro to what your sure. journey has been? Yeah. So, you know, my husband and I met in uh, grad school and we thought we were doing all the right things. We met in grad school. We got our careers off to a good start. We bought a home and then we thought, okay, this time let's start a family. Um, so I, I suffered from PCOS and I knew that for a while. So we went straight to IUI and we successfully got pregnant with our son, Darian, um, on our first try. It was amazing. You know, we were, we were stoked, honestly, yeah. like all the things had lined up. Right. And, um, you know, fast forward, it was a normal birth and a normal first year, um, you know, we started seeing some developmental, let's say delays, um, around 15 months, mm -hmm. but we were told by various physicians, including, um, pediatricians and neurologists that everything was fine, put him in early intervention and he's going to be just fine. There's nothing going on. Don't worry about it. So at this time he's around like 15, 16 months and we're like, okay, well, maybe it's time we want two kids. It, could take us a while because of our PCOS. So let's, let's try. Um, so we went to a different specialist this time because we had changed insurance carriers and we tried uh, metformin for PCOS and, you know, lo and, lo and behold, the first month that I got on the dose that he wanted to, I got pregnant. And again, things were fine. You know, I was, my pregnancies were fine. I was getting pregnant, you know, with intervention, but I was able to get pregnant. Right. And at this time, my son, Darian, was starting to kind of plateau on his development. And I was getting really concerned. And I was getting really frustrated by his pediatrician. And... I had the ability to go to various doctors on my own. So I took it upon myself to get other opinions. Um, because at one point I told the pediatrician, I said, um, 
you know, I don't think we've tested everything. Something is going on because I was doing all the research on my own. Every night I was on Google. Why is he falling so often? Why is he not? Why was he saying words? And then he stopped, you know, what's going on? And she told me she I told her, I said, can you do a metabolic screening? Um, I have a hunch that it might be something like that. And she just told me straight. And she said, if it was metabolic, he would be passed. He would, he would have died by now. That was wow. what she told me. Um, and I just want to stop you real quick, yeah. Rojan, because yeah. I feel like so many people, we do listen to our doctors. We do yeah. just kind of take that as, you know, the yeah. Bible, so to speak, of whatever it is that they're telling us. And for you to listen to your intuition for your child and doing your own research to say, what if it's this? What if it's that? What, it, you know, test this and that, I think just is a testament to the fact that one, you were being your advocate for yourself and for your child. And we are often not even told that that, not that it's not allowed, but that we don't, we shouldn't question the authority of the medical community, so to speak, right? And I remember us even having conversations and I was like, oh no, you know, my son's falling too. And you're like, "Mm, no, something is different, right? And the fact that you stayed the course and pushed on this is, you know, I mean, all along, I can tell you how much you've been my hero, but even in these early days when it would have been so easy to just be like, okay, I'll wait a little bit and see. Yeah. To your point, they're, they're, they're the authority. We, they are the specialists. We look to them for the answers and there's that mom gut, right? Where you're just like, this is not okay. Something is wrong. And whether it's, you know, your son's health or it's infertility or it's your own health. Like you need to advocate for yourself. And that's what I've learned. And my voice has become stronger um, because of this. And now realizing how much important it is to question things and it's okay to question respectfully, but question. Right. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, he's, his, he, it's becoming at this point, very clear something is is going on. And how old and was I, he at this point when you were like, and okay, he is, obvious he now. is yeah, so it, it all kind of just like crumbled all at once, but he's about 18 months at this okay. point and he is now almost losing the ability to walk. Um so he not only is now not maintaining where he was, he is now regressing. Okay. And I am fully pregnant by now. And I am a firm believer to do all the genetic screenings. So I did my second trimester screening and I get a call saying that I tested um, high risk for a certain disease. And right away, my husband and I were like, we're doing an amnio. We need tests. We've got issues with our son. Now we're being told something could be potentially wrong with our daughter. Um, and this point we, I mean, we had, we were, nothing was clear to us. We were completely confused as what was going on with our kids. And to, to mm -hmm. say her daughter, when she's saying that she's maybe like four months pregnant at the time or earlier, right? When this was about 20 weeks, I'm about 20 weeks. Yeah. So I'm about 20 weeks. So we got a, a rushed, um, we got a rushed amnio. Um, because, you know, we're up against, uh, California's timeline on when you can terminate in a second, second trimester pregnancy, um, because that is something that was on our mind because we didn't know what was going on. Um, so we get our results from the amnio 
that she unfortunately was missing uh, a chromosome and had an extra chromosome. Um, so it turns out that I have what's called a balanced translocation that maybe one in 500 people have. Um, most people just have miscarriages and they have no idea that they carry this. Um, but in my case, my breaks were so small that she was anatomically looking like she would be a typical child. But the geneticist told me, um, and this is her words, that um, best case would be severe mental retardation. And um, at that point, I mean, everything is just dark. Like I, I am now worried about my son, like what is going on here? Um, so we were able to get him expedited um, genetic sequencing, whole exome sequencing. And um, did you feel like waiting, getting the answers yeah. for that pregnancy helped to yeah, convince she, whoever needed to be convinced of yeah, that we needed yeah, to take it, this a step further? It gave me the extra fire I needed under me to get him genetically tested. It get, got us into a geneticist with the local children's hospital here. Um, she, out meaning my daughter, um, really just it helped him get diagnosed faster, quickly. Um, you know, while we're waiting for his results, we, my husband and I, we had already decided before we ever had children. And I always tell people this when they get, when they are about to try, I say a conversation that you need to have is, are you going to keep your pregnancy or terminate your pregnancy? If there isn't, if there is an issue with the pregnancy, um, this pregnancy was wanted it was beyond wanted, right? I could feel her. I, you could see her kicks from the outside. Like, this was my daughter, right? Like, this is who I, I was waiting for her. And we decided that we were going to terminate, um, you know, given what was going on with our son. Regardless, we had decided if there was anything that was not healthy about the pregnancy, we were going to terminate. Um, and luckily we live in a state where we have that option. Um, and we out, it was horrific, right? Like just absolutely horrific, the experience, but I was grateful that I had that option. And I think a lot um, of people having that conversation with a partner prior to it actually being reality is very different, right? Like it's one yes. thing if it's just an idea of, okay, what are we going to do if this isn't a healthy yeah. pregnancy when you're waiting for those tests to faced with that of like Rojan said, you're that far along that you are your your body is in full pregnancy. You're yes. feeling the kicks, you know, as seeing her yes. in person, you visibly see somebody who is pregnant and all of those things. So the sensitivity around that emotionally and physically is, you know, exponentially more so than just having those initial conversations, although those are important Absolutely. to have. But when it becomes a reality, it really turns your life upside down. Yeah. And, you know, I was, there's only one or two clinics in the area that, that do a second trimester termination. And I remember laying there and they were starting the process. It's a two-day process. And I was in the first step where they insert things to help you dilate. And I remember I was just bawling and they kept asking because they want consent, right? To like, make sure this is what you want to do. And at some point I couldn't even answer anymore. Like I was just hysterical. And at that point is when my husband just looked at the doctor and was just like, we had discussed this before we even had 
a child or got pregnant and we're on the same page. Like, yes. And he had to say it for me the final time. Like I just, yeah, you start questioning yourself because you're just tied to that emotion. You know, now that I look back, you know, I, I am grateful I had that choice. Um, but you start questioning it in the morning, in the moment, because you're just so tied to the physical and emotional attachment you have to this. Totally. This, you know, this, I know being inside of you. So even the losses that I had are that are no comparison. I remember thinking, like, check a heartbeat one more time before we do the yeah. DNC. Like, check it again, yeah. check it again, you know, because yeah. you just, there's this thought of you of like, am I, do I believe them? Am I making the right decision? What if, right? Well, yeah. And I kept telling the geneticist, I said, tell me exactly what she's going to be like if I keep the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you have a child with Down syndrome, it's kind of, I can envision that. Right. right? I'm not saying terminate, keep, this is your choice, your child. What I'm saying is a Down syndrome diagnosis, I can see what that looks like. Right. We've For her, I could not see what that looked like. Right. And she just kept telling, because I wanted uh, that reassurance that there was going to be an issue, right? Yes. Because I didn't want to lose her. I wanted her. But she kept telling me that, no, there's like, no matter what, when you have a genetically, you know, when you're missing genes or have extra genes like this, there's going to be an issue. Um. You know, so and did you feel no, that? Yeah, uh-huh. did you feel that geneticist gave you the emotional support that you needed during that time as well? Because I know the genetic counselors, like that's what they're there for, right? To kind of explain the situations. Did you feel like you got that at the time? No, I don't. I mean, I just felt so alone in general and so lost. Um, you know, I'll never forget when one of with the the high risk doctor when he called with the results he told me he said great news we know what's wrong with your daughter mm-hmm. and i said what do you you have what's called a balanced translocation i was like what do you mean great news now this means that every pregnancy from now on i have this chance of having this issue again like there's just i feel that sometimes physic- physicians don't take a step back and look at the whole picture or the whole human being that's standing in front of them, right? right? It's just like this, let me just deliver this information. Oh, great. We know the cause. Awesome. Right. Well, are you looking at the bigger picture and how that's going to affect this human's life, you know, that you're right. delivering this news to? What I um, say all the time is it's just another, yeah. uh, just another day in the office for them and it's yeah. life-changing moments for us. And, and that just, I mean, I can, I, I can tell you exactly where I was when I got that phone call because that just, it changed my future, right? Um, and, you know, we can, I won't go into all the details of termination and how my breast milk came and I had no baby to feed and like all the things that came with after the termination and how like just dark it was, but I still had this sun in front of me that I did not know what was, what was happening. So in November was termination end of December. I'm with my son at therapy cause he's in all the therapies. Like they told me to, and I get a phone call from the same geneticist. And this time the news is even worse, honestly. Um, he was diagnosed with a ultra rare genetic condition called GM1 gangliosidosis. It's a degenerative neurological um, condition, and he was given 
12 years to live. And I mean, I can't even explain what that, that phone call was like. Um, you know, the termination's gone. I can, she's not here. I don't have to care for her, but I have him. And it turns out that my husband and I are carriers of this rare disease. And so not only now am I faced with a diagnosis of a balanced translocation, but now I have this rare disease tied to it as well. So I'm given an 80% chance of having a child with one or both of these conditions if I ever chose to get pregnant naturally again. Um, you know, I turned my focus to my son the next year um, on what I needed to do to help him, you know, you do anything you can in your power to save your child's life. I flew all over the country. I met with all kinds of specialists. I met cats in a lab that were being tested for the for a treatment that they were potentially working on. Um, I found out that there was a clinical trial at the NIH for gene therapy for this disease, and I was loud. I was the loudest person that you have ever heard trying to get my son into this trial. Um, you know, there was, this was my mission. He was right. getting in. I had no idea if it was going to work um, or not. I mean, you name them, I called them. Like they, this, this little boy was getting into this trial. Like that, that, that was it. Like <laughs> there was no stopping me. You didn't want to wrath, the wrath of this mama. Yeah, you're messing with the wrong mama. But I, mean, I feel like that's, you know, this is a story that I hear from other rare disease moms, especially the moms. I mean, we just get this fire lit under us that you have never seen before, you know, like, but it's what we got to do. And um, he got in. He got in and he was going to be one of the first patients ever in the whole world to be treated with this disease for gene therapy. And that's just a whole nother bag of emotions that came out, right? Is it right. going to work? Is it not going to work? What's the outcome going to be? Um, but I'm also 35 and I don't know, this can't be the end of my story as a mother. Right. He made, there's a very good chance he's going to pass away. Like what, is this it? Like, I have no more children, like, to care for. Like, this is just what I've always wanted. When you got um, that diagnosis, yeah. were you focused on that so much? Or were you just like, I'm on a mission? And did you have this idea that once he got into the trial and all of those things, that this was, like, had a greater chance of surviving than not? And the reason I asked that is I remember my yeah. sister, who when she was diagnosed – it wasn't about the fact that nobody survived it. It was the fact that she couldn't have children. It was like, you know, the thing that most people would focus on, she wasn't focused on. She was more focused on kind of this smaller thing that we thought was a smaller thing. So for you, were you thinking about the the ultimate kind of what this meant for your life or were you more focused on, I just got to like get them better and fix it and make it happen? Or were you like, this is what it is? No, I was, I was focused on him. I was focused on him. He was, he, I mean, to be quite honest, he was dying in front of me. I watched him stop walking 
I watched him stop being able to self-feed. Like he was a piece and like pieces of him were dying every day in front of me. And I knew if I did not get him into any treatment, like this was it, right? Like yeah. I, I was hyper-focused on that. And in the back of my mind, I'm a researcher, I'm a planner. Like I definitely was looking at my options because I knew time was against me because I didn't, you know, I was, you know, age-wise and all of that. But um, yeah, for the first while I was really focused on that and so was my husband and there was absolutely no way he was open to the idea of having children I mean we were he was so consumed by the burden of caregiving and that is real like it is a very difficult job to be a caregiver for you know especially in this situation and, he, and you're thrown into it without yeah like, and any he's thrown into it knowledge of like how to navigate it what to do where to go how what resources and yeah. that alone you could write a book on of just how to right. go through that process to to oh, sort it out but then in a relationship too of each person is grieving and and dealing with it in their own way, right? So that's another aspect of what is that like for families that are going through it? Not only the relationship of the the partner, the husband and wife or whatever it may be, but the extended family too, right? Everybody is in their own Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, specifically for my husband and I, like we, we, we are dealing with and did de- deal with it very, very differently. You know, I think he was, um, he's able to just focus on the day to day more than I'm able to look at the bigger pictures of things. I mean, that's, I think what maybe gave me some success in my career is that I could look at the bigger picture of the problem and help solve it versus just looking at the the finite issue just sitting in front of you, you know? And for me, it was the bigger picture was our family holistically after Darian's treatment, right? What were we going to look like in 15 years and 20 years? You know, if anything, I've been humbled that I have no control over anything because I always thought, oh, I had so much control, but this right. is definitely <laughs> awakened that, you know, that no, you don't. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we we definitely had some very difficult conversations, like very difficult. Uh, I don't want to say I gave him an ultimatum, but I very clearly made it um, known that I wanted to have more children with or without him. You know, um, I wasn't going this wasn't going to, like I said before, be the end of my story. Um, I, I wanted, I wanted to hear a child say, mom, after all I've been through, I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted to know what it was like to sit on the bench at the park and watch my kids play, you know, like I, I was robbed from all of that. Um, so, you know, fast, you know, we're, and knowing we're now getting that, ready. Yeah. Knowing what you, had to now, now with your own diagnosis, right? You and your husband to know in order to have that, it's going to be a very different experience than what you even previous yeah. had, previously had yeah. had with IUI or just trying metformin, right? Like that's yeah. a whole nother thing. So well, imagine what she's yeah. going through with her son and this enormous news and literally fighting like a warrior on the front line to to get him what he needs and deserves and all of those things while also knowing 
the path of growing the family down the future is going to be a completely other direction. And what was that direction? Yeah, so we had three, our choices were IVF to do genetic testing, try to get pregnant naturally and do a CVS around 13 weeks and terminate the pregnancy if it wasn't healthy or not have more children. And there was no way I'm, I was going to do another termination. I just couldn't do it. So Darren was going to be at the NIH for 10 weeks for this treatment. And we decided, I convinced my husband that we needed to create some healthy embryos through IVF. And luckily we had the you know, the financial ability to do IVF. And so what we had to do was first create a probe for our specific diseases on our mutation because it's so rare. And that was going to take weeks. So we did, we submitted all of that while we were at the NIH. And as soon as we came back after he got his gene therapy treatment, I had my egg retrieval. And I guess my PCS worked out in my favor because I had... 29 eggs and out of that 14 embryos but remember 80% were going to have issues and so we had three healthy you know three healthy embryos out of that and I'll never forget walking into you know and I I mean Elizabeth here is like more than a friend she is my sister she's my family at this point um we were so deep in caring for our son that I had very limited support system in what I was going through. And Elizabeth took me to my consultation and I will forever be grateful for everything that she has done for me. But I remember walking in and he got off the phone with my geneticist um, and he looked at me and he was like, well, we can do this. You have no problem getting pregnant. We could just test the embryos. You've got this. And he was so positive. And I rode that positivity throughout all of it. And I said, well, I can get pregnant. I have gotten pregnant. I just need a healthy embryo. And, um, you know, we had our embryos and we had them frozen for a while because we didn't know what was going to happen to our son because we were sent home after the NIH and said, now we watch and we wait. And unfortunately, um, it didn't work. Uh, he is continuously regressing. Um, we have come to acceptance of what his future is going to be, um, you know, of his life-limiting disease. Uh, we did everything in our power to try, to try to save him. Um, you know, I we love him dearly. He is amazing. He is so cute. Um, it's handsome very boy. hard to care for. He is a handsome little man. He is six years old now. Um, you know, uh, but the reality of caring for a terminally ill child is very difficult. Um, but we, I was getting older and I, again, was like, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't it for me. So again, a lot of hard conversations and my husband agreed to transfer one of the embryos and we, got pregnant on the first try and we have our beautiful daughter Mila because of it. Um, you know, we, we, we made sure she didn't have the issue with the balance translocation and we made sure she didn't have GM one like my son does. And not only does she say mom, but she screams mom at me all day long. And she's, <laughs> she's like, a little she's firecracker. And 
Yeah, you know, but I I have a perspective that a lot of families don't, I guess. You know, I I have I just every little thing that she does just is amazing to me and I'm so grateful for it and you know, not that I don't get frustrated at the end of the day and tired, but it's just she has just brought so much joy and laughter and and love and into our lives and just this morning watching her interact with her brother and you know helping with his gtube feeds or helping you know just hold his hand and how gentle she is i mean she's just going to be the most empathetic accepting little human being i mean she already is and i'm so proud of that and you know i'm i'm proud to be her mom it's amazing. So back to two things. One, the probe yeah. for anybody who yes. isn't aware of that, because a lot of times we know, well, I'm doing PGD, PGD, excuse me, PGT testing, which basically is saying I'm testing my own embryos for X amount of situations that come up. There's different types of testing, but when you say a probe, can you explain to people who are not aware of like when and why they may need that and what that actually means? Yeah. So if you have a, um, like a single gene mutation, like we do where it's unique, right. That they don't have these, that isn't, um, visible on these general panel, I guess, general panels. Um, what they do is they take DNA from the affected child if it's available. So my son, uh, my husband and I, we all did some, uh, it's just an oral swab and they are able to pinpoint the exact mutations within the, the gene, the GLB1 gene that my son has our mutations on. Um, and they will first, um, in our case, what they did was they, you know, did the embryos and they let them grow to the blastocysts and they freeze, they, they do a biopsy. And first they do a screening of the general, um, genetic makeup. Like, are there any big breaks missing, you know, chromosomes like the, for example, the, the, you know, like trisomy 21 and, and the more typical things. And then from there, they'll look to see, okay, these are the, the quote unquote healthy embryos that are genetically, you know, complete. And then they do a um, specific PGD test with our probe of our mutation to find out which um, embryos are, they can tell if they're a carrier, if they have one of the the copies of the the um, missing gene, or if they have two, which would cause to be an affected, um, you know, to be actually be have the the disease. Um, yeah, and so the embryos, so you can't do like a fresh transfer. Everything has to be frozen um, because it takes time to do. They need a biopsy the 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 embryos and to to run the various tests from there. But um, and yeah. I, I think it's just good to note as well because I think you may, no matter how rare they are these days, whatever that situation may be, there's very few situations on the flip side that they can't figure out, like Rojans and Darians and being able to now have this healthy baby. Because, like she said, this is an extremely rare situation that they have with her son. Yet she has this little firecracker running around because they were able to create this probe. So if anybody's listening who knows that their family is a carrier for something or they have a concern of, you know, we were told maybe not to have children because of, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever it may be, know that 
speaking to the right people to get you to what you need to do is possible. You just need to get in front of the right person to help guide you and navigate that process because there's very few things that it's not, they're not able to figure out these days. Yeah, absolutely. If you have, I mean, it all comes down to you. You have to have a diagnosis or to have to be, right. to know what your mutation is. Right. If you have the mutation, then yes, to, to Elizabeth's point, um, you have options, you know, right. you definitely have options. It may take you a few rounds um, to, to get enough, you know, embryos right. to test, but there, the option is there. And also to second that, what you said earlier about his positivity. I mean, I will also remember, never forget, I'm 75% sure I can get you a healthy baby. You know, they certainly weren't saying that to me when I was sitting across yeah. from that same desk at, in my forties, you know? So to yeah. hear that with what she was facing was like, I, pretty sure we were like high-fiving and hugging on the way out because we knew like yeah. this was it. It was possible. And the bigger challenge I think at that point too was your husband and getting him on board. And I want to just touch base on that too because as you mentioned before, just the grieving process and all those things are different. And I think that mm -hmm. that's very normal. So if you're in a situation where you find conflict with your partner through, through dealing with a new diagnosis like this with a child, having children in general is a struggle, right? Like you're not sleeping, you're all these things, let alone if there's something on top of that so devastating as this, you have to allow that space. But the fact that you almost like the fight for Mila, right, was like you were very determined that this is what you needed. So how did you hold your own course and knowing that it was a matter of kind of convincing him, so to speak, and you were kind of determined, like, I don't want to say with or without him, you were kind of going down this path. But in some cases, you knew, again, looking at that bigger picture, that this was so important. And of course, now knowing the the end result of this, how grateful all of your family is and, and your husband and everybody and what a joy and a blessing she is. But that I think is a really important thing to touch on for couples that are going through it, that somebody is like, I'm not ready and I don't want to do this again versus you holding the space for him to say, no, I really do think that this will be good. I, first of all, is when we had our termination, I found an amazing therapist and she has been with me from then to this day. And it took a year of therapy to one work on myself to really understand why I wanted Mila, right? Was she, I didn't want her to come to fix anything. I really wanted, I wanted the right intention. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know that she was going to be okay faced with whatever was going on with our son. Right. But during that year, she really helped me work on how to communicate with my husband. You know, we are very different in our communication styles and, um, you know, the face to face isn't easy. So I, you know, I, I tried to see his point a lot. I validated his feelings a lot. Um, I tried to communicate in ways that I thought he would be more receptive, but it took a year. It took a year of, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it really, really hard conversations, really hard. Um, but it was that fire within me, just like with, with my son. I mean, I was determined and that was it. Like this was going to happen. I, I just, I could see it. It was, a, it was weird. I could just see it. I knew it was going to be there. Like I, I had, 
and maybe because my perspective, I was so focused on my son, but there was never doubt in my mind that I couldn't get pregnant and have a healthy baby. It just never crossed my mind. I don't know. And, and looking back, I'm like, what was wrong with me? But honestly, like, I don't know. I think maybe again with my son, we were just so focused, but I was able to channel that positivity too with my husband and just say like, listen, like we're so scared, but we have all of this science that's able to help us make sure she's healthy. We were scared. We were traumatized. Life had screwed us over multiple times, right? Like we had that fear. I mean, I could barely look at her when she was born because I was so scared that something we still had, we missed something. Right. Right. So I had to reassure him that these are the steps we took scientifically. And this is, you know, how we were going to get care. To, I needed to put the, the logistics out. Like we could use the, you know, this money to help us get a caregiver with our son to give us a break. So like, that's kind of how I approached it. But presenting I mean, the data. family. Yeah, he's a he's an accountant. I had to put the spreadsheet out, you know, and like be like, this right. is the plan. And a year later, I mean, that's it. I mean, he gave in, but now they're best friends. <laughs> and again, she's just bringing so much light to everybody. And I can't wait to see how she continues to to grow in that way. And also her being on her own platform from yeah. the perspective of growing up in a home with a big brother that is different and, and what that looks like and how she can communicate and teach others so that we can build this awareness to other families that are out there. So how has it been now having a toddler and having another child that is hard, you know, not your typical child to care for? Very hard. Um, but there's joy, joyful moments and very hard moments. Um, you know, like I mentioned, my son's degree disease is progressive. So he is losing skills day over day. Um, you know, my handle on Instagram is one heart, two journeys. I mean, it's one human being watching her children grow in two opposite directions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Mila is, we're getting ready to potty train and we're ready, getting ready to go to preschool and we're getting ready to do all of these different things. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, getting a suction machine for my son because he's now having a harder time managing his saliva and, you know, having a harder conversations about end of life care for with, with, with doctors, you know, um, it becomes your norm. Um, you know, I, I still talk to my therapist every, every week and I have amazing friends who support me, but the, the cloud of diagnosis is kind of, gone. And I guess you just, it becomes your reality, your day to day. Um, but you know, it's, it's not easy. Absolutely not easy. Um, but I'm, I enjoy those moments that I have with her, whether it's just a little croissant date, just the two of us or going to the park. Um, you know, but it's always, I'm always trying to find the balance too, of spending time with both children and, and giving Mila that normal experience, right? Like she, I don't want her to be so, just involved in the medical aspect of caring for her son, for her, for her um, brother either. So it's tough, you know, it's, it's a hard balance to have between the two, but I'm, I'm grateful for the breaks that I get with Mila as well. So you find that you are able to, to laugh and find those moments of joy, even though despite the other side of things, because I think that's what people are afraid of sometimes. Like, how am I even going to be happy with this new baby, if I'm so scared and concerned and worried about my other child, right? And as as weird as that 
situation may be, is it possible to have that same joy and happiness and fear and sadness living side by side? Absolutely. Or else what is there in life? Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. I had a choice to give up and roll over and just let life just roll on top of me or take it in my own hands and do what I could, you know, to, to bring some joy into my life. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, telling you this story. I mean, you know, I had, we, I went from taking my son to physical therapy this morning and watching him struggle with certain things to, uh, we have a play date planned right after this, you know, and uh, it's just, it's just all mixed in together and it's emotional roller coaster. And some days are hard. Some days are great, but, um, it's the life that I'm living. So I've learned to accept it and to not only be the best mom that I can, but really take care of myself too. Um, I Self-care is not even, I mean, a lot of people are like, go get a massage. But the reality of, of it is literally self-care is sharing my story to help heal or um, joining a book club so I can have an adult conversation with someone or taking a five minute walk by myself. I mean, I have to find it where I can, but really again one of the reasons why I share is just finding a tribe of people who understand and one of the one of the people who has really helped me is um I have a friend who is in a similar situation and being able to just openly and share the struggles and the joys together of just someone really understanding what you're going through is is just so important um that no one really gets unless you know not my parents not you, Elizabeth, like no one really truly understands what I'm going through, except for another person who's walking a similar journey. Which I think is key. And I know having seen Rojan through this process and when she met this friend, it really did change the outlook of her outlet to this other friend that was able to meet her in a place where nobody else could and how yeah. significant that is. Because we all hear, I, I heard it somewhere else yesterday, I think, in, in passing on the TV where it was like, the, are any parent's worst nightmare is what Rojan and her friend are living through this slow process of watching their child pass. And it's not – we can say – how horrible that must be. But until you're in their shoes and you've seen it and you've lived it with them as them, we don't know that. So from a friend of yours and for people that are listening that support other families that are going through through this, what are the things that you would give as advice to somebody who is in the situation that you are from our perspective? How can we best help support people, you know, that we love that are going through this type of situation with a genetic situation? Well, what you're doing, which is to continue to show up, you know, um, I've, I had, a, I have had people shy away because they just, um, it was too hard for them to face. They didn't know how to support me, but really just remember that we are still who we were before in a sense of like, we still want to laugh. We still want to go out to have dinner. If we can get away, we still want to quote unquote, have like a normal like relationship with a friend, you know, um, 
just continue to show up and don't be afraid to ask us what we need, you know, and we will be very clear with like, today is not okay. Like just, I can't right now, like, you know, be flexible, know that we're going to cancel because things are always changing in our household. And, but honestly, it's just to continue to show up and to listen and not tell us that everything's going to be okay and not tell us this has happened for a reason. Like, we don't want to hear that. No, this didn't happen for a reason. I am not strong. I was not built for this. Like all of those things, like that is honestly crap. Like it's Mm -hmm. shitty. I am suffering. I have moments of joy. I am not stronger than you. I just had no choice and I'm pulling it together and getting through the, through the day. Um, and I just want a friend to laugh with me and to not talk about medical stuff sometimes. That's it. Yeah. And I, over and over, I've seen you make the choices (laughs) for yourself and your family of, you know, you can lay over and do this, but you get up every time and you, you move forward and you make the choice of building your family. You make the choice of taking her to Mexico. You make the choice that may (laughs) not be the easiest choice, but you also know it's the path of normalcy that you're trying to get back to. And I just want to add that, you know, Rojan was this corporate, you know, boss babe before she had kids and to really pivot this life to be the full-time stay-at-home mom, caregiver, all the things and completely slay that. But not only to this, this learning a whole new world, literally of all the things. And again, for anybody who is going through it or knows somebody who's going through it, Rojan, how can they find you? Can you mention your handle again? And all of the things kind of at a high level that people may expect to come into that they can can know resources for, right? Of like, what are the first things that you would suggest if they are just getting this diagnosis of something similar? What do they do, first of all, you know? Yeah, so my handle is one heart, two journeys. Like I said, um, I'm here in Southern California. I'm an open open book. Um, reach out to me. I'm happy to support. I mean, I think, you know, there's various foundations that support rare diseases. Um, so I found the Cure GM1 Foundation, which has been an amazing resource for me. Um, you know, we, the parents get together and we, we can help each other through this and we ask questions. Um, so that's number one. Um, I think that's the most important thing is just finding the right tribe of people and regardless of the specialists and the doctors that all go with it, but really it's finding those that are walking a similar uh, path. Right. Yeah. And I imagine once you do find that community and that tribe, they help you navigate through all those yeah. things, right? Because they have walked yeah. the path before you. And yeah. that's always helpful for them to say, call this person, do this, do that. And yeah. Yeah. and to see what what life is like, the good, bad, and the ugly of yeah. what could potentially be coming your way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And You're I welcome. am so blessed and honored to be part of it and walking the walk with you and all of those big moments that you mention, you know, are ingrained in my memory and my heart and will be forever. And I'm just grateful that our paths crossed. Absolutely. So same. Thanks again for being here and sharing your story and helping everybody on their own journey. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. 
Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.